Father, this morning, we simply ask again for the Spirit of the Lord to give help and to anoint us both to preach and to hear your word. Lord, we pray for your body all across this land this morning. Lord, wherever they may meet, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would indeed endure endure the preachers with power from on high. I pray for great encouragement. I pray for strength, Lord, that does not come in the natural realm, but, Lord, it comes from the Spirit of the living God. Lord, I pray that you'd stir the hearts of your people across this island, Lord, across this world, O God. Oh, God, we don't want to be found asleep, Lord, in such a critical hour. Lord, take sleep from our eyes, Lord, spiritually. Lord, I pray you don't stop our ears, and Lord, open our hearts. Lord, give us the grace, the faith, Lord, and the will, Lord, and the humility to obey your word. Where there's things that are not right in our lives, Lord, we pray, Lord, in your mercy, Lord, that you would convict us, Lord, that we would be rightly aligned with thee, O God. Lord, we pray, O God, this morning, Lord, those that are in great battles, Lord, I pray, thank you, Lord, that we are more than conquerors, Lord, through this Christ, Lord, that you, Lord, you are the great victor. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would grasp hold of the truth of your word today, that you would indeed, Lord, liberate us, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, fill every life afresh with the Holy Ghost, Lord. Oh, God, this morning, Lord, give help, Lord, we pray. Lord, glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Conquering Canaan, part three. And this morning, I want to talk about preparing to cross over. Preparing to cross over. You know, that first week was conquering carnality, And I believe that we need to deal with the flesh, not just in a one-off service, but we're dealing with this flesh every day of our lives as believers. And we must keep this flesh in subjection and bring it to the cross. Then we looked at the possessing another spirit and having the spirit of Caleb that came upon that great congregation as the elimination of those that were unbelieving in heart, that they would not enter into God's fullness or promise. And a new generation is born, and the Spirit, another Spirit, was upon them of faith to believe this God, to enter in and to claim the promises of God that God had given them. And then this morning they come, as it were, after in compassing or going round that mountain for so long they'd made the decision that they're going to move northward and they're going to make the preparation to cross over into the promise of God that was Canaan's land. And now they're at the verge of the Jordan. I mentioned that last week, I believe it to be true that often we come so close to victory, but we're also so close to defeat because we're prone We're prone, I I don't like singing the song simply because I know it's true. We're prone to leave the God that we love. And when we sing it, I know it's true, but I go, God, I don't like to sing it because I don't like to wander from your path. I don't like to leave the God that I love. And so often we find ourselves being drawn away from the path. Oh God, take our hearts and seal it. Lord, may there be a sealing of our hearts for the purposes of, of the Lord. Canaan's land lay just beyond this great river, the River Jordan. And Israel are now under a new leadership. His name was Joshua. He was a key figure, of course, one of those original 12 spies. But now, over that great journey, God has raised him up, Joshua, to take up that mantle of Moses and to lead the people across this great river. They've wandered for 40 years in that wilderness, and now they are ready, as it were, to enter into what God has for them. It's like the eve of a great battle. It's like the eve of the great purposes of God, that God is about to lead these people over this river Jordan, and now they're on the verge. And you see in in God how He works, how He deals with His people, that He knows that there are times that people just need to be encouraged They need to be strengthened. They need to be told, arise. They need to be told, God's with you. God's not going to fail you. And on the eve of this great uh, crossing over into into the land of Canaan, God would begin to speak to them and encourage them and remind them that he's with them and he won't fail them and they have nothing to fear. 
Church, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. We are the children of the living God. We should not be living in fear because we are God's people. He delivered us from fear. And He needs to remind us because we're so prone to be conditioned by the fear of this world. That's what is currently taking place. It's not popular to speak these things, but it's true because people are being conditioned by fear. Fear by the government, fear by the politicians, fear by the different organizations that are being created to bring the people of the nation into fear. But we have not received the spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. And we're on the verge, we're on the edge of, I believe, the greatest battle of all the ages. We're on the earth, we're on the very verge of the great climax of time. When all of hell is spewed out for the devil knows that his time is short and he's been come with great wrath against the church of the living God and we know that Christ is coming for a bride and there's a battle going on and there's a great battle and it's about to be played out. It is being played out across the world, across our screens, across the streets and the lands and the nations of the world. God's about to speak to his people as they're on the verge they're on the verge. Do you know we're on the verge? Listen, we're on the verge of something so great, something so wonderful, something so mighty. You know, if you look back in history, and I, I did a little bit, you know, on the eve of great battles, great leaders, great men of, of, of history would stand up and, and they would seek to inspire their troops as they're about to enter into the conflict. And it's so important when you read through history and you see it in most of the great battles, there was an eve. There was, a, there was the eve of that battle and men and women would come to the fore and come amongst the troops. And, you know, their words were so potent, so powerful because words have an effect upon our lives. If you continually speak death and discouragement and unbelief that spreads like a cancer through a church and we believe God for nothing, and that's why churches have closed in their dozens because the faith, faith has gone from God's people. Who believes in this great God? Who will stand and say, Lord, I believe, I'm a believer. Today in this hour in which we're living, we see that fear has overtaken the faith of the people of God. You know, I read, I read about the British destroyer HMS Kelly, 1941, was hit and uh, Lord Louis Mountbatten gave this speech as half of the ship's men were, were killed in the battle. The ship had been taken out and half survived. And then Kelly and then Lord Louis Mountbatten come down to speak to the surviving men. And, you know, it's just amazing just the, the, the inspiration that comes in the natural. But he just said to them, he said, there may be less than half of the Kelly left, but I feel that we'll all take up the battle with a stronger heart. Each of us knows twice as much about fighting, and each of us now has twice a good reason to fight. You know, I can spiritualize that. You know, there, there, there's, there's a good reason to fight. There's a good reason to fight. We might have taken on a bit of water, and a few torpedoes have hit us, but it's time to stand up and it's time to fight. I read then of, of Field Marshal St. Douglas Haig, Commander-in-Chief of the British Armies in France, and he, his and his closing remarks, I'll not read the whole thing, but here's one line from it. He says, With our backs to the wall, believing in the justice of our cause, each one of us must fight to the end. The safety of our homes and the freedom of mankind alike depend upon the conduct of each one of us at this critical moment. If that is true in the natural, and today we live, I know you wouldn't think it in the society and the way that this generation has come. We live in the good of the freedoms and the liberties that we have because men gave their blood a couple of generations ago on battlefields. Young men from this nation that went out with to give their blood and to give their lives for our freedoms, and we live in the good of that today. And yet, in all of it, these are for natural things and natural kingdoms. You know, I read of Elizabeth I. She spent, um, before she was queen, she spent a year in prison because she was, at that time, she was 
accused of hiding the Protestant uh, uprising, and they put her in prison before she became queen. But in 1588, with the Spanish, Spanish Armada heading towards England, the queen herself, listen to this, 30-year-old woman, now she's queen, and she came down to a place called Tilbury in England, and she gathered her troops together, and the queen herself stood in amongst all of those soldiers. And this is what she said. She says, I know I have the body of a weak and a feeble woman, but I have the heart and the stomach of a king, and of a king of England too. That inspired those men to stand God divinely and supernaturally intervened, of course, and they never reached the shores. But that inspiration of that 30-year-old woman inspired men to stand up. To stand up and to be counted. One last one, Sir Colin Campbell, standing with around 200 men and another 100 men. They were walking wounded, 40 detached guards men against 2,500 Russian cavalry, and they were about to break in and destroy the British baggage lines, the supply lines, and Sir Colin formed up two lines of these few men, and he said simply these words, there is no retreat from here, men. You must die where you stand. Give us men and give us women that will die where they stand. It says that John Scott turned around, a Scottish man said, Aye, Sir Colin, if needs be, we'll do that. We need a few John Scots as well. If you're going to stand, Stephen talked a few weeks ago about three of us on the Springfield Road many years ago. But I tell you, I thank God I'm not standing for that cause anymore. But I tell you, I will stand for the cause of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to stand. Help us to be men of faith. Help us to be men and women of God. Help us to be people that say, here we stand and here we die because we believe in this. We actually believe in this. This is not something of religion to tick a box on a Sunday morning to keep the minister happy. This is not, hap this is not a happy, clappy gathering of God's people. These are a people that are here to believe God Against all the odds, thank God, God's a God that deals in the impossible. But God wants to speak to your hearts on the verge of the greatest battle in the history of faith. Wants to inspire his people to stand up. Wants to inspire young people to get a hold of the cause, the real cause. You know, there's, and I understand this, you know, I had a cause and I wanted to be a part of cause. There's a wonderful thing about youth. And I know I'm not in the bracket anymore. You don't need to remind me. But there is a wonderful thing about youth. There is a, there is a passion in youth that's so, that's so exciting. It actually is exciting to see young people passionate about things. You see them passionate about the things that they have or the job that they're doing. And it's great to have that passion. But there's no greater thing to have a passion for than the passion and the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You channel that passion, and you channel all of that zeal into the cause of Christ. I want to tell you something. There is no telling what God will do in your life. It's the most exciting thing to serve Jesus Christ. You say amen. It's the most exciting thing to serve the Lord. It is the most exciting thing to give your life as a young person to Jesus and say, Lord, you can have it all. I'm willing to go wherever you'll send me, but if it's standing right here in this little town, Lord, this is where I'm going to stand, and this is where I'll die. God give us men and women and young people that stand up. We have a, an age of, it's just unreal. It's nearly hard to grasp. A generation be beyond us in, this, in the sense of my mum's generation born just after the Second World War and coming out of a, of a time when the land was wrecked and ruined and blommed and blitzed and, uh, uh, and very little money and, and very little all crammed in the housing and 
knew what it was to live and to survive on very little. And today we have everything and we complain the most. God help us, what's happened? There's a cause that we can stand for. And this new generation are standing on the verge of their greatest moment in the history of their lives. They maybe didn't grasp all of that at the time, but when we look back, we can see this was their greatest moment of their lives. They were about to cross over the River Jordan into Canaan, the promise that God had given to their forefathers to enter in, to claim the land, to dispossess the enemy. He had to be driven out in order for them to occupy. The reason why I personally believe that Canaan, and I have no problem with with us singing about Canaan uh, being a type of heaven, but I believe Canaan is the, is the life that the Christian must live. This is the life of faith. This is the life of battles. This is the life of Jerichos and giants. This is the life where we have to dispossess the enemy from his strongholds and walk in the power of the Holy Ghost and claim the promises of God and enter into the victory that God has given us. We are here to occupy until he comes. To occupy, we must dispossess the enemy and the strongholds and the wickedness of hell and all the vices of this world. We have the authority in his name over all the power of the enemy. That's why Canaan to me is the life of the believer. To enter into the victory that he has for us. To pull the strongholds of Jericho down in the name of Jesus. To take on the giants by faith alone. Believing in a God. A God who is the Almighty One. And there's simply nothing too hard for Him. You see, there's no Jerichos in heaven. Praise the Lord. There's no giants in heaven. Praise the Lord. There's no devil in heaven. Thank God. There's no Achans in heaven. Thank the Lord. There's no more battles when we get to heaven. What a day. Of rejoicing that's going to be when we all get to heaven. God, the Bible says, will wipe all tears from our eyes. There's no more death. There's no more sorrow. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. For the former things, they've all passed away. All things, the Bible tells us, become new. There's no more curse. There's no night there. There's no need of candle. Neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and forever. He that overcometh, the Bible says, in heaven will inherit, listen to this, all things, all things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Heaven is a wonderful place. I still might be preaching about Canaan, and then we'll all arrive in heaven. But friends, this morning, Canaan is the life of the believer. You've got Jerichos, you've got giants, you've got strongholds, you've got opposition, you've got battles, you've got struggles. But thank God there's a victory. And now they've come on that journey out of Egypt through the Red Sea. That Red Sea, of course, is a type of the born-again experience. Now they've come through the wilderness now they stand on the verge of the River Jordan. I believe the River Jordan is their baptism in the Holy Ghost. Crucial for the life of victory as a believer. To be filled, to be filled with, to be endued with, to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. How can we do it in our own strength? How can we pull any Jerichos down? How can any stronghold be broken? How can any devil be chased out? How can any demon be driven out without the power of the Holy Ghost? It's folly. And Canaan was the land occupied by the enemy. And now the great fight was on. To dispossess him. Oh God, we need to dispossess the enemy and the strongholds of hell that are all over our nation. They had to occupy. If you turn over into Joshua chapter 1, I want to talk about one of the greatest speeches given to a people on the verge, on the verge of a great battle. I believe we're on the verge of a great battle. We're on the verge of a great battle. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. 
Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass, the Lord spake to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, Moses, my servant, is dead. This is God now speaking this great speech unto Joshua as they're about to go. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. As I said unto Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of your life. As I was with Moses... So I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shall I divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from the right hand or the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein both day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host. Command the people, saying, Prepare your victuals, for within three days you're going to pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. It's awesome. It's awesome. God inspired Joshua he inspired him to go and instruct and inspire the people. It's time to move. It's time to go in to fulfill the promise of God. He opens, and I want to work our way through these scriptures, these verses here, if I could. He first of all says to Joshua, Now therefore, arise. <clears throat> there has to come a moment, there has to come a time I, I believe for this, I believe even this in hearts this morning that there are some that are going to arise. God is instilling within Joshua, this is now the time. This is what you've been purposed for. This is what my plan is, Joshua, for your life. Now I want you to arise. He has experienced the wilderness for those 40 years Many of this generation had not seen the mighty acts or the displays of God's glory in Egypt, how God destroyed Pharaoh and his army and the plagues and so forth. They are very much come into a generation that had not experienced the mighty works of God. Yes, they were led by God by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, and the presence of God was amongst them. But largely they had not seen the supernatural acts of a living God amongst them as a people. And now the word of the Lord comes to Joshua. Joshua is a very interesting character when you look and study him. But one thing you note about Joshua is he wanted and he longed for the presence of the Lord. He was the one that lingered at the glory of the Lord. He was the one that held back that he could experience and enjoy the presence of the Lord. He had a passion for God's presence. He had a passion for the manifestation of the presence of God. Do you want to see the manifestation and the presence of the Lord moving in such an awesome way? Do you long to be in the presence of the Lord? Do you want to bask in the glory and the power and the presence and the love and the grace and the mercy of God? Is there a desire in your heart to move beyond the natural realm of just church attendance, but really to get into a place with God? And God's speaking to, to Joshua and He's saying, Joshua, it's time to arise. 
You know, listen to me this morning carefully. I want to really labor the point if you don't mind, but there is a time when you must arise. There is a time wherever you are, whatever you're in, whatever you're going through, but you just need to hear this word this morning, this phrase this morning. It's time to arise. It's time to get up from where you are. You cannot stay in death. You cannot remain in bondage. You cannot stay just going round that mountain. But there is a time when God says, Now it's time. You must get up and you must move. This is life. You must move with God. You cannot stay still because you'll die. It's like those men at the gate and said, Why sit we here? Do we die? We have to move. God sometimes speaks very clearly into our hearts, into our circumstances, as he did with Joshua here. Joshua, you need to be inspired this morning. It's time for you to get up. Church, I do believe there's a time that the church needs to rise up. You know, if there's anything, and I don't know whether it's just where it is, where I am, but there's something within me that has been so pained so grieved over this past year and a half and and what we have witnessed and what we have seen, how we have seen just the complete and utter, uh, as it were, just the retreat of the army of God. We sing these songs, God's got an army. My God, it's more than singing it in four walls. We talk about faith. We talk about deliverance. We talk about the power of God. But we talk and we talk and we talk and we talk. But there's a time there has to be an action. There's a time when we have to move. And God, I believe, is preparing that remnant, this last remnant. I believe it's the last one to get up. To get up from where we are and arise according to the word of the Lord, to the purposes of God. God begins to inspire Joshua. And I believe that's a Joshua people. It's time to arise. He promises them this. Look at that. Every place, every place, what a promise this is. This is actually remarkable that God would say such a word, but Joshua's believing. Faith comes by what? Hearing, hearing by the word of God. If he's going to arise, he needs a promise to move with. He needs the word of the Lord. And the Lord says, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. Now you'll remember last week, and I shared the story about those old Italian shoes. Listen, I know a few of you were saying to me, the thing that you couldn't believe is that I thought I would get a pair of Italian leather shoes for £35. Well, you know, I just thought I did. But listen about these shoes. They had shoes that never waxed old upon their foot. You remember, you know, there's a connection here. It's unreal just to see the detail of God. They were walking through that wilderness, but they had never seen those great mighty acts of God that he did in Egypt. They were following. There's a new generation being born. They're going to believe the Lord. But they're looking, and I believe this, they're saying, look, I've had these shoes here for 40 years. I've had these shoes 30 years. Them shoes have never, they have never worn old. They're looking at that and seeing the blessing of the Lord. They're saying, my God, these shoes have never, all the way through this wilderness for 40 years. But you see, when God, it's just amazing how God's word ties together. Then they're standing on the verge of the Jordan. And then they're wondering why God has blessed them and kept them. You see, I believe God's keeping the people in the midst of all of this. I really believe that. And you maybe don't understand it. We, sometimes we don't. We don't see the full picture of what God is doing. But we're seeing the blessing of the Lord. I can see them standing together. They're men like you and I. So we'd say, you know, what about your, my shoes haven't worn old. I mean, I've been here. I've been in this wilderness for 40 years, but it's actually pretty amazing. Isn't God good? The blessings, the small things. But you see, when we begin to understand how God's work, God's blessing upon them that their shoes were never going to wear out. But now he's saying, the reason why I've kept your shoes is because I'm about to give you a promise that the same shoes that you've been worn, that you've just seen as a small blessing, that that's the very feet that I'm going to use to claim the land for my name's sake. All of a sudden, the purpose of God is revealed in why he kept their shoes. There's a reason God blesses us. 
It's not just that I'm blessed. Oh, here, I'm blessed. More blessings, Lord. It's the fact that he blesses us for the purposes of God. And now they're beginning to realize the reason why my shoes haven't worn old is because I'm about to enter in. I need a good pair of shoes to go in to claim the promises of God. Now the revelation begins to come. The blessing of the Lord upon our lives. Why is God blessing us? Because God's got a purpose in the blessing. It's not just to bless us. We're here just for a time. We're going home to heaven, but there's a Canaan to possess. And so the blessing of the Lord was upon them. God was going to order their steps. Can I tell you something, friend? I believe this, and I know you do too, but I believe that your life, every believer's life in this room, your steps, the Bible tells me, are ordered of the Lord. You hear me now? See, when you get a hold of this, this is such an amazing thing, that your steps, your life, you know, people say God's got a plan for your life. Do you know not a truer thing could be said? You know, I know it becomes a cliche, but it's actually so true. God has a plan for your life. Actually, your life is mapped out by God. And what God's asking you is, now you walk my way. There's a condition in it. You walk my ways. You obey my word. You trust me and see every step that you take in your life. I've ordered those steps. Now, your steps might take you into places that you're going, are you sure this is God? You might go into situations that you find absolutely beyond what you can imagine. And you're sitting there, but God Almighty, if you know this in your heart, God has ordered my steps. That means tomorrow morning if I get a phone call and I have to go to the doctor's and I walk into the doctor's surgery and he says, I want to sit you down because I have bad news for you. What I must know first of all is my steps are ordered from the Lord. You might say something because you're a professional and God has blessed you with the gift that you're going to tell me something that I don't like to hear in the natural man. But I know before I come into the doctor's surgery, my life is ordered of the Lord. I'll never leave this earth one second before God has ordained it to leave. Never. I'll never die. That's why I'm not afraid. I'll never die a day before God has purposed me to die. The Bible says it is appointed on the man once to die and after this the judgment. That means this morning that every life in this room, there's an appointment that you'll never miss. And so my steps are ordered of the Lord. The Bible says He will keep the feet of His saints. 1 Samuel 2 and 9. My feet are being kept by the Lord Almighty. That means this is not just higgledy-piggledy, do whatever you want. That means that I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm being led by the Holy Ghost. I know this morning when I get up and I get ready and I spent that time in prayer and then preparing and coming to the house of God, I know that my feet are ordered off the Lord. I know I'm in His will. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. I am in the will of God this morning because I'm gathering with you. My steps are being ordered of the Lord. Job said these words, and there was no one suffered like Job. And he says these words in Job 23 and 11, My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept. It's remarkable. And not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food more than my natural desires. Here's a man that suffered. We know the sufferings of Job. But I have esteemed the words of his mouth. His steps, his life was ordered of the Lord. The spiritual application for the saints of the old and the saints of the new. When, they, when, the, when the Lord said, Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, that have I given you. Here is a spiritual application. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15, the Bible says there concerning the, the armor of God, it says, And your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Believers, every place that you go, every place that you go in the will of God, in the purposes of God, 
You bring the gospel of peace into a world that's in turmoil. You're not just doing your job. You're a missionary in your workplace. You're not just going through a nine-to-five thing, but you are God's soldier and God's person in that place. You have your feet shod with the gospel, the preparation of the gospel of peace. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 15, it says, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You'll never know You may never know this side of eternity, the life that you've lived, but people know by you talking to you, looking at you, see the life that you live, that you're a Christian and you're not off this world and you have a purpose and a plan that God has that you're living out for His glory. You'll never know, friends. You'll never know, but we must live this life in the promises of God. He says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of your life. Do you know, I am so thankful this morning to the verse that we read in Romans chapter 8. It says, Nay, in all these things, do you know what we are? We are more than conquerors. Are you more than a conqueror? Do you feel like you're more than a conqueror? Whether you feel like it or not, you are. We're so hesitant, you see, because we're not inspired by the word of the Lord. Faith has to come into our hearts to know that we're more than conquerors through Him. Year of God, little children, John says, and you've overcome them. And this world is about to get more wicked than you can imagine. You might think it's wicked now, but it's about to get an awful lot worse. Sorry, I'm not, a, whatever you want to call me, doom and gloom or whatever else, I just want to tell you the truth. It's going to get an awful lot worse. I tell you, it's going to get an awful lot worse. But John says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? I'm leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, if you turn to it, chapter 2 and verse 14, and he says these words, and this is regardless of culture or time, but he writes these words in 2 Corinthians 2 and 14, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place that we go. He causes us to triumph. Oh, but the Antichrist is coming. You better believe it. But the demonic manifestations are going to be poured out worse and worse, wax worse and worser, as we say. But I want to tell you something. Praise the Lord. He's going to cause the church to triumph. Yeah. Listen to me, friend. He's going to co- I know it may not look like that in your natural eye. Sometimes I may say things that would also agree with that very much so because it looks a little bit depressing, a little bit dead, and a little bit lifeless. But the real church, the true church, is going to triumph in Christ. Jesus said in Mark chapter 6 when He sent out the twelve Mark chapter 6 and verse 7. He said these words, And he called unto him the twelve, and he began to send them forth two by two, and he gave them power. Do you know that the Lord has given the church power? Many people actually believe that. You may not think it or by looking at it, but the, the Lord has given the church power. Power over unclean spirits. Commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey. Save a staff, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. Do you know what he's saying? He's simply saying, you don't need anything else but what I've given you. There's things that we might use, but we don't need them. What we need is the power of the Holy Ghost. And I'll give you that power. The power is the Holy Ghost. He's the power. I'll give you power over all the power of the enemy. We have the authority in Christ in the name of Jesus. We have the triumph. We have the victory. We're overcomers in Christ. You might be struggling to grasp when you look around you what has really happened. I think most of us are. There's been an awful lot of great speeches, great words. Men have said many great things. But when the hour has come, 
Our faith is being manifested for what it really is. God says to Joshua, it's time to get up, Joshua. It's time, Joshua. I'll give you a promise that everywhere that your feet will go, I'll give you the land. I promised it. Nothing will be able to stand against you, Joshua. I'm with you. All the days of your life, no stronghold, no devil, no demon, no man, no kingdom, no war. Nothing can stand against you. I have given you, I have given you the land. He said something very important to him. He says, as I was, so I will be. Many people know that God never changes. As he was with Moses, I will be with you, Joshua. Can I say to you this morning, as he was with Joshua, so he is with you. How many people actually believe that? How many believe in the immutability of God? That's a big word. It just means that he never changes. Hebrews 13, he's the same. Jesus Christ, he's the same. And forever. That means he never changes. Churches change. Their little statements of faith change. Their little theological gatherings change. Their ideas change. Their ideologies change. But Jesus never changes. What he's saying is, as I was with the church in the book of Acts in an upper room 2,000 years ago, what I was there, and that's what I am today. How many people believe that? But the church has got smart, got theological, got intellectual, got materialistic, got humanistic. God's just looking at someone like Joshua to say, hey, Joshua, see what I was with Moses? See what I did in Egypt? See what I did with Pharaoh? See what I done with all those plagues? See what I did with that Red Sea? See what I did with that mighty army? See all of that, Joshua, as I was with Moses? I'm going to be exactly the same with you. I'm not going to be different because God's no respecter of people. Everyone's the same. And so he's saying to us here tonight, today, this morning, whatever, where we are, he's saying to us, as I was, so I will be. What changes is churches change. Men's ideology changes. Theology changes our concept of God. What we do is we make a God of our own imagination and denomination. It's actually frightening. We limit the Holy One of Israel. We bring him into a box of a denomination. We bring him into a box of a church hall. We bring him into a little box and say, that's our God. We, we have a God here. This is him. Come and look at our God and he's dead. He can't do anything. He can heal the sick, deliver the oppressed, set the prisoner free, open blinded eye, heal cancers, raise the... He can't do that anymore. But here's our God. What do you think of our God? And the world's saying, he's not our answer. We'll search in amongst all the other religions of the world. This is a spiritually charged world. Spiritually charged. All that was over in India and Africa all those years ago, which are now witnessing a great move of the Spirit of God. But all those demonic religions and paganism has all swept across most of Europe and into the United Kingdom and Ireland. And now they're searching out. They're spiritually aware, but they're looking. They're looking for another because the church has changed who their God is. Oh, but we are fundamental evangelical believers. But we've changed who God is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I will not fail you. I'm the same. How many people believe that the God of this book is the same God that's here this morning? Help us to get this. How many really believe that the God that we read of in this Bible is the same God that's in this room today? Jesus said, if the twos or threes are gathered in my name, where is he? He's in the midst. How many people really grasped this this morning when he said to Joshua, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Jesus said, I am the same. I will never change. Hebrews tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means the same Jesus that walked this earth, that turned the water into wine, that healed the lepers, the sick, and the oppressed, raised those that were crippled legs, raised the dead, drove out the demons, is the same Jesus here. Is it a different Jesus? Because if it's a different Jesus, it's another gospel. It is another gospel. 
and it's another spirit. And so he sent Joshua everything of what I was. That's exactly what I'm going to be. Then he said to him, I will, I will not fail thee. I will not fail thee. Would you say those words? I will not fail thee. Nor forsake thee. I mean, what a promise. Do we need this promise to be buried in the depths of our hearts in the days in which we're living? I never fail thee. Jesus said these words in Matthew 28 and 19. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, this is what he said, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Many people really do believe we're living in the last days. No, there's the odd one or two don't, but I do believe it. We're living in the last of the last days. And Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, when he said these words, I believe that he knew everything, everything of the unfolding events of the times that would come because he'd already told his disciples and prophesied to them what those last days would be. And with that in mind, with that in mind, with the rise of Antichrist, with the outpouring of wickedness that men would wax worse and worse, with the evil that would come, with the departure and the falling away, and the persecution that we're about to witness across these nations, these nations, these nations, brothers and sisters, the persecution that's about to come when pastors and teachers and preachers are going to be imprisoned in Ulster, in Northern Ireland, in Ireland, in the United Kingdom. Listen to me, friend. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And Jesus, knowing all these things, says, I will be with you to the very end. I'm not going to fail you. Does that mean it's an easy ride? Does that mean that some of us may not have to go to prison? No, it doesn't mean that. Does that mean it's all going to be a bed of roses? Does that mean that we're all just going to dance along with flowers in our hair and just, oh, we're Christians and everything's easy? No, you're going to be hated for Jesus' name's sake. We have the wrong concept or allowed the wrong concept of Christianity to creep into the Western church. A visit, and I encourage you, take up a short mission. Now, I'm not talking, I'm not against them, but I'm not talking a beach mission in Spain, okay? But I'm not against that because people in Spain need to hear about Jesus, one of the darkest. But take up a mission. Go way up in the Nepal or way up into northern India. Go way up into Bhutan. Go way over into these foreign nations that are overcome with darkness and see what believers have to live in. Somehow or another, we have a conditioned mind to think that we are not supposed to suffer. But if we suffer with him, what will we do? We're going to reign with him. Actually, when we get to heaven, we might be shocked at who's on the front row. But it has to be us with all that we have. No, it's probably going to be the suffering, persecuted church that's given their blood and their life for Jesus Christ that will sit, if there is such a thing, right at the front. I want to be a front row Christian. Well, if we suffer with him, then we're going to reign with him. I will never, the Amplified, which I love, says this. I will never, under any circumstance, desert you. I will never give you up nor leave you without support. Nor will I in any degree leave you helpless. Nor will I forsake you or let you down or relax my hold upon you. Assuredly not. God's got a hold of my life. It's a big chorus we used to sing. And he won't let me go. And then it was, he won't, he won't, he won't let me go. It's a classic. But it's true. God's got a hold of your life. Oh, I feel it's all falling apart. Let me tell you something. He's still holding on to every part of it. In Isaiah 41, he says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, yea, I will help you, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all they that are incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing, and they that strive with thee shall perish. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, this morning, 
He will not fail us, neither will He forsake us. Praise the Lord. I'm glad to be saved. He then said that Joshua be strong. Listen, brothers and sisters, we need to be strong. Listen to it. We need to be strong. The church needs to be strong. God's people need to be strong. I'm not talking about this strength, pumping it. I'm talking about we need to be strong spiritually. Church, we need to be strong. What has happened to the church of Jesus Christ? We need to be strong. Strong in the Lord. Strong in faith. Fervent in prayer. What has happened? God's saying in the great eve of this battle, be strong and of good courage. Then it says, only be thou strong and very courageous. What for? To keep my word. I want you to keep the word. Eight times in Deuteronomy and in the Joshua chapter 1, God repeated this call for the church to be strong, for Israel to be strong. Kept encouraged and be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong. Be of good courage. Why? Because you're going to have battles. Saints, you're going to have battles. You want to become a Christian? I want to tell you something. People say it's for cards. Tell you the bravest men and women that have ever lived. Men and women and young people have stood up and said, I'm a Christian. I don't go with a fish. It's easy to go straight. Listen, I did it. The machine, it's easy to swim with the rest. But I'm going to tell you something that takes a man, a real man, I mean this, and a real woman to stand up and say, I'm a Christian. Anybody, anybody can follow the rest of the crew. Anybody can. Anybody can. Listen, friends, it's easy. Go with the flow, isn't that what they say? Easy to go with the flow, but it really takes a real man or a woman to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Be strong. Be of good courage. You know, this is so crucial. This promise of the Lord given to Joshua. David, King David himself, took up the same promise to give it to his son Solomon. In 1 Chronicles 28 and 20, David said to Solomon, you'll remember that uh, David received the plans, as it were, of the building of the temple, but because of the man of war that he was and the blood, that he would not build it, it would be given to his son to build Solomon. And so David is speaking to Solomon. And what does he do? He picks up the promise that God had given to Joshua and had spoken into Israel. And he says in 1 Chronicles 28 and 20, David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do what God's called you. Do it. I mean, this is a word of look. Just do it. Fear not. Don't be dismayed, for the Lord thy God, even my God, he's going to be with thee. See the pattern as it falls, follows through. David says, listen, he's not going to fail you. Why did David say that? Because David wrote the words, he says, I have been young and I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. Let me tell you, see, my God, my God's going to be faithful. Solomon, he'll never let you down. He'll never forsake you until, until he said these words, until thou hast finished all the work. Until the work's done. We're to labor while it is day. Why? Because the night's coming. Friends, the night's coming. But there's a work to be done. And then he said these words, for the service of the house of the Lord. There's a work to be done. Do you know what it's for? It's for the service of the house of the Lord. Now what is the house of the Lord? The house of the Lord is not this building or that building back there, the house of the Lord is the spiritual gathering of God's people. God wants you to work for him. This is not works for salvation. That's something that's completely, completely heresy. We're saved by faith alone. This work that we're involved in is because we're saved. There's a purpose to live your life for Jesus, to give your life for the work of the Lord, for the service of the house of the Lord. Paul writes, of course, be strong in the Lord. Ephesians 6 and 10, and the power of His might. He wants us to be strong. Christians, God wants you to be strong. Strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Not in your own flesh, but in the power of His might. He says these words, I'm coming to a close in a minute, but He says these words, 
For unto this people shalt thou divide an inheritance in the land. In other words, that every person that was part of this had a part to play in the inheritance. Could I tell you something, and I mean this. See, every Christian in this room, you have a part to play. Really, sometimes people are sitting, what am I doing? Why am I here? And, And this type of, and the devil has you spinning sometimes. You have a part to play in this great battle. It's exciting. It's actually exciting to be part of what God's doing in these last moments of time. Do you know, I spoke a few weeks ago, but I have sort of pondered on it a wee bit since then. But the prophets penned the words, and I believe it with everything. I've seen a pen sitting. I believe when they were writing those words under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and writing those prophecies down, they must have, they must have, I know I would have, they must have just went sometimes. That's some day to be alive in. That's going to be some day to be alive in. And we're alive in it. The must have. When Zechariah was writing about the Lord will descend and the feet of Christ will land on the Mount of Olives and the Mount's going to open. He must have. Like he must have sat. He had to. He had to set the pen down and go, that's going to be something else. Do you know what, friends? I believe that this generation could witness that. There's a part for you to play. Everyone has a part in the victory. Every joint supplies. Everyone comes together, Christ being the head, compacted together, the effectual working, the measure of every part, make us increase to the body of Christ, makes the body strong, edifying itself in the love of God. You know, we have a part to play. Jesus said these words in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all the nations. And he shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divided the sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand. This is the great separation. The sheep are on his right hand, but the goats are on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat, I was thirsty, you gave me to drink, I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked you clothed me, I was sick, you visited me, I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we this stranger, and took you in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick in prison, and came unto thee, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. It's practical Christianity, working out in your life, being part of something, but not just being here in number, or I don't particularly like the phrase, just going to be honest, I'm a pew warmer. No, you're not. You're a part of the body of Christ. You have a part to play. You have to feed into this. You have to be part of this. We're not all the same, but there has to be something that's poured into this body. What happens? The body becomes strong. The church needs to be strengthened. He said, lastly, turn not from the right hand or to the left that you may prosper. I want you to listen as a close. Because what we're seeing is what we're part of today is the great falling away. Bible prophesies of a time will come when many will depart from the faith. Many will depart from the faith. We're now living in that. We're witnessing that. It doesn't mean that they'll, they'll not be going to church. It means they'll still do all the religious things, keep all the, all the plates spinning, do their wee Sunday morning thing, get it all over with, and so they can have the rest of the week to themselves. There'll come a time when they'll depart from the faith. They'll turn away from the path. You know, Proverbs is a, an amazing book, a book full of wisdom. And the Lord, speaking there in Proverbs 4, verse 20, says, My son, you see, they had to live according, the path, the word, the way, 
It wasn't just that, oh, I'll, my steps are of the Lord, I'll, just, I'll do what I want. That's nonsense. We're living according to this. We're aligning our lives with God's Word by the grace of God. Proverbs 4 and 20 says, My son, my son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of your heart are the issues of life. Put away from thee the froward mouth that you know that that froward mouth. You know, there's some things that might shock a few, especially in the age in which we're living in the church. There's some things God hates. Does anybody know some things God hates? The froward mouth is one of the things that he hates. That's a mouth that's perverse. That's not talking just about someone who has a filthy mouth as we would understand in the world. Do you know what know what's a froward mouth, a perverse mouth? Those ten spies brought an evil report. That's an unbelieving heart. That's unbelief being brought in. The fear of the Lord. I always remember Stephen preaching a message many years ago, many years ago, about the fear of the Lord. Where is the fear of the Lord gone? But here's what the fear of the Lord is defined in Scripture as. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate pride, hate arrogancy, hate the evil way. Hate the froward mouth. God says, that's what I hate. God said that. He says, put away the froward mouth, the perverse lips. Let your eyes look right on. Let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of your feet. Let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right nor to the left, but remove yourself from evil. If ever, brothers and sisters, if we are going to go in, as it were, I know we're still not in Canaan, but we're going to get the Canaan. Some week we'll get the Canaan. But the preparation's important. Preparation's so important. The dealings of God. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. But make sure you're on God's path. The way of life. Keep your eyes fixed. Jesus is coming. It's time to arise. To go out and meet him. Are you ready? Are you ready? For the Lord to come. Are you ready for his purposes? Are you ready in the preparation of what God is doing in your life? Church, it is time for the church to stand up. God help us. God give us grace. God give us courage. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Let's pray together this morning. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we praise you this morning for, Lord, your presence among us. And Lord, we thank you, Lord. We serve an amazing God. There is no one like you, Lord. There's simply no one like Jesus. Lord, we pray, Lord, in this meeting this morning, everyone who is called by your name, a Christian, follower of Christ, Lord, I pray that every one of us would be strong. Lord, I pray that every one of us, Lord, would arise. I pray that every one of us, Lord, would stand, Lord. Lord, would stand for Jesus. Stand for a cause that's worth giving your life for. Lord, that we would be a people, Lord, that really, Lord, in these days, rise up not in our own strength, but in the power of your Spirit to enter in, Lord, to cross over this Jordan. Oh God, we pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, give courage to young and old alike. Give strength to young and old. Lord, we thank you that you have a plan for every one of our lives. Lord, we pray that we would walk according to your way and we know that you will bless us as the blessed man. Oh God, this morning we ask, Lord, if there are those even among us that do not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, we realize that we cannot save, we cannot create an anxious thought. But Lord, by the power of your Spirit, Lord, even while they're yet dead, 
Lord, it is by your grace, by the wind of your Spirit, that you can make them alive. Lord, that they can receive, Lord, this great salvation. Lord, we know the hour is late. Lord, there are not many, but Lord, we know your word tells us there are 7,000. There is a remnant that haven't bowed the knee. Lord, we're praying this morning, Lord, that you would strengthen your people. Lord, we pray that we would lay hold of the promises. Lord, we know, Lord, that you're ordering your people's steps in these last days to bring them in, Lord, I believe, Lord, for the greatest battle in history of faith. Lord, to see, Lord, the enemy dispossessed. Lord, in the land, not in the natural, but in the spiritual, a great harvest of precious souls. Oh God, this morning, help us each one to be that band of men and women that you can use for your glory. We ask all these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together this morning.